Daily Season 2, Episode 224, for August 12th, 2023. This sea creature can handle itself. We've got 12 articles. We'll be doing a rundown right after these words. Hello again. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI from on high. You want to introduce yourself? Good evening, hometown citizens. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Interesting. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the following articles. A new sea creature with a lot of arms. Maui wildfires took out legendary art. Frog and Toad not available in the U.S. Thieves ditch hidden air tag. Chick farmer fossil mystery. Royal mail workers delivered to unemployment. Cold batteries drain faster. Antarctic cascades of extreme events. Jailbreaking a Tesla iPhone throttling settlements, can Britain recreate a uh, microchip industry, and suing the Internet Archive. Today is going to be a, an eclectic mix of news, and um, it's Saturday. I'll, I'll try not to soapbox too much. Uh, whenever I say that, it usually tends to turn into a soapboxing day, but I don't know, a soapbox derby. Maybe. No? Uh, we've definitely seen some soapbox derbies in hometown. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> a member of uh, hometown decided to walk directly in front of a camera that I have uh, access to. <laughs> All I saw was a nose. Um, for those of you in the podcast who are listening to the podcast, eh, you missed out. You'll have to either download or go and watch the VOD here on Twitch or go over to YouTube and, and watch the video there. That's the long-term archive. I'm short of, um, local storage here in hometown. Um, because Twitch deletes everything after 60 days. Anyway, with all that in mind, I actually changed up the flow. I should have put something at the beginning and do the intro of the articles, but you know, I just don't do the rundown the same way twice. Keep you on your toes, AI. And you didn't that's tell right. me. That's right. Believe me, that's a, <laughs> that's a constant. It is a constant. Um, and for the first time uh, ever in the almost, uh, well, in the over year and a half that I've been doing the show, I'm actually drinking something while an adult beverage even. I know. Uh, drunk news that's not really what's happening but oh the ai is throwing an error message uh okay so let's get going i was expecting you to get into asmr uh on that theme <laughs> oh should i <laughs> start drinking and no no no, no. Okay, we'll just go on um so the <laughs> next article the first article is over in hometown daily scientists find a new sea creature with 20 arms and they have arms in quotes uh, and named it after a strawberry i'm not quite sure uh why i i heard of the the strange new sea creature with 20 arms named after a strawberry earlier in the day i haven't bothered um to pursue it um so here we are this is the first time that any of us have seen this article but uh we have we've seen this 
kind of the headline and news from other places. Um, a preserved Antarctic strawberry feather star or Promococrinus fragaris. Might be frag fragarius. Fragarius. There we go. Oof. You'll see a picture when we get to the other side of this, but researchers discovered a new species of feather stars with 20 arms, quote unquote arms. The species is part of the Antarctic feather stars group and is broadly related to starfish. Now, I, I've heard of um, feather stars before. I've never seen feather stars or starfish in general floating anywhere. But this thing looks like it was floating, but this is preserved. So, Oh, that's odd. I see what you mean. So, um, think of it as a starfish and it's little arms stick out in a whole bunch of directions. They actually move based on what I've seen. Um, but I don't know if it's across the board. They actually move fast enough that they look on the ground like their legs are trailing behind them as they're moving. Um, whereas starfish look like it's a star and slowly moving, you know, in a direction. These these feather stars seem to be able to move a little bit quicker. Or I, I don't know, maybe it's just the, the their particular kinetics. They they look like they're shooting because they look kind of like this, but their are their arms are kind of spread out more much more dramatically um morgan mcfall johnson and lloyd lee are the authors of this it's over at businessinsider.com i'm not sure why we didn't find it at fizz.org but hey what can i say we get our news from where we get our news right but this does seem like it'd be a fizz.org article no oh, for sure researchers trawling the ocean near um, antarctica Uncovered a new species that looks haunting in photos, but named it after a fruit. The Antarctic strawberry feather star is a sea creature with 20 or so called arms. Um, some bumpy, some feathery, and can altogether be up to eight inches long, says uh, Greg Rouse, a marine biology professor at the University of California, San Diego. And they told Insider. They co-authored a, a paper about this new species, Invertebrate Systematics, last month. Um, I guess this is the close. They have another picture, a close-up of the Antarctic strawberry feather star, with some of the cirri removed to unveil a strawberry-like base. Which you have to use some serious imagination to consider this a strawberry-like base. Yeah, I'm not really seeing it, but I mean, okay, maybe the shape of yeah. the, the center part. Yeah, that right there is what they're talking about. Because these are the Siri. Um, he added that the Siri have tiny claws at the end that are used to hold on to the bottom of the seafloor. Oh, goodness. Like at the end of these little things, it has the little, like a little hook, little claw. Hmm. This is the stuff that writers should be looking at for inspiration about creating, manifesting in their writing creatures like alien. Um, I mean, it's 
it's amazing stuff you know it, it for it to evolve this way is really spectacular um but oh man oh there you go see see but this looks like it's floating around somewhere um yeah it really does but by dragging a net along the southern uh, the yeah the southern ocean searching for more samples of these creatures the team of scientists from australia and the u.s identified four new species that can fall under the antarctic feather star group so yeah i guess so so we went from one species with 20 arms to now eight species six with 20 arms two with 10 arms under the name promo promacocrinus yeah i guess so feather star um let's see the antarctic strawberry feather star was found somewhere between 215 feet to about 3840 feet below the surface okay that's a hell of a range <laughs> it is well congratulations on finding some new species we just don't have the tech to stay down there and do these dives you know long long periods of time and stuff like that um and when we do it's either expensive or it's experimental and um you know mistakes are, are made but i'm sure that there's all kinds of we're still discovering stuff that we can walk up to out in the desert for crying out loud let alone at the bottom of the oceans exactly we're not even ready to uncover everything in the ocean you can't handle the truth let's go on to the next article this next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Pop art legendary artist loses life's work in Maui wildfires. I'm not sure what the status of these are. I know that uh, many people have lost their lives um, in uh, the wildfires. Uh, I, I haven't heard of what may have caused it, um, the initial fire, but we know that uh, climate change drought um, caused it to spread really fast and winds. The artist who inspired famous Rolling Stones mouth and tongue logo lost an entire studio of his work in the Hawaii wildfire um, that decimated Western Maui this week. Hey, you know, I have a little, it has nothing to do with them, but the inspiration. Um, I was once contracted to create the logo for a band um, and they said, we want something that doesn't tie us to the logo, but is inspired by the band um you know like the rolling stones and uh it's always that it pops up because i i don't really get that inspiration but this happened mm, 20 plus years ago um so it's always interesting to see the now inspiration um has lost their entire studio that's amazing though I cannot imagine that. I mean, I know this is somebody's livelihood and it's not comparable to people who've lost their lives um, or perhaps their homes uh, on Maui, but I just, I cannot imagine this. Yeah. And entire, the, uh, the whole <laughs> countryside is kind of wiped out. Nick Robertson over at the Hill put this article together. Um, the artist, uh, Ruby Mazur, 
said uh, in a CNN interview Friday that he and his family plan to open his new studio on the main oceanfront street of Lahaina this week. Lahaina Town um, has been nearly completely destroyed in the fire, which has killed 67 people. Their three sons basically uh, barely escaped Lahaina as the fire approached and the family camped in a U-Haul uh, because there's no hotels. Um, amazing. Quote, my lifelong work of 50 years painting rock stars gone. Wow. Wow. And I suspect there aren't necessarily um, copies of this because it might be like physical paintings or things like that. Yeah. These are the actual physical, the originals and physical uh, paintings uh, gone. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of work out there, but a lot of their work is, is their work, right? I mean, it's still around them. Um, maybe even one of a kind photographs because the artwork somewhere else doesn't exist anymore because of whatever reason. Um, wow. Pretty amazing. Um, Azur's most famous, uh, for his work as an album artist. He designed the uh, artwork for Rolling Stone's 1971 single Tumbling Dice, as well as art for Jimmy Buffett, uh, Elton John, and others. Unbelievable. He also had cancer three times that he beat and now says that he's lost his life's work and almost lost his son's. Uh, it's a lot to take. Yep, I agree. And I stress I about things. I hope he had good insurance on the studio. Nothing can bring, nothing can compensate you for. Nothing can bring back for the artwork. But. Art. Yeah, you'll have, he'll have to do a Taylor Swift and rebuild it. You know, start over from scratch and do it all over again. Um, and who knows if, the, if, you know, they have to have photographs and then they can set about recreating it. And then from this point on, man, I would distribute it liberally here, here. Right. Exactly. Why don't you put this up on your wall in this other location? Yeah. You know, and I, uh, I promote this thing, um, where you have, um, you don't have all of your backups in the same place and you don't have it on the same media. And, um, so for me, I want it on, I want three different backups, two different media and one offsite. Um, and, uh, I learned about it a long time ago, that ideology a long time ago. And I don't remember who it was that, um, said it. And, um, uh, I ha I remember that I felt the same way, like, uh, oh, you know, I really need to get this stuff in a secure location. So if something happens, it isn't only here, uh, wherever here was. Right. Um, and so now I try to practice that as much as possible, but physical paintings, you would have to create another one and put it somewhere else in a, some offsite location, a warehouse or whatever. And who knows where, you know, even if they put it in a warehouse somewhere in Lahaina, the warehouse could have gone up as well as their house gone up. Well, exactly. Like in that location, I don't think any spot would have been safe. Now, if it was outside of that city, maybe. 
Yeah, it would have to have been inside a like a a brick building or yeah, a, a concrete building with a air gap between them, and and even the air conditioning would have been wiped out because the power went out and generators would have been uh, busted. I mean, there was. It's like the universe was just coming for this person's life's work. It really sucks. So, and the only way to beat this would have been digital. And um, that way you have copies until forever. All right. Well, you know, they could have had some NFTs or something. <laughs> you, Sorry, you I couldn't your, resist. Your NFTs. Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> AIs really love NFTs. Um, the next article is over in Smack Talk. Apple TV's Frog and Toad is not viewable in the United States. I thought that was really interesting. So I wanted to throw it into today's rundown. Uh, the Apple TV animated uh, series Frog and Toad is unavailable in the United States. Only a few months after the show premiered on streaming service, um, the uh, series based on the award-winning Arnold Lo uh, Lobel book series on uh, April 28th. However, by August, the show is no longer available to watch in the United States. And so I'm curious as to why I don't watch the show. Um, I, I don't think that I've ever seen anything about it, frankly. Um, you should. Uh, Frog and Toad is an excellent book series, so I have to assume the TV series is as well. Why do I feel like I've just been reprimanded by the AI? I'm very sorry. Um, I, uh, uh, I mean, I've heard of it, but um, I've never read. All right. You should read the story about the ice cream cone. Oh my gosh! Now I'm really getting in trouble. All right. I'll do that. I will. I will do that immediately. <laughs> Malcolm Owen over at AppleInsider.com put the article together. I'm The reason why I put it in here, I guess it was twofold. One, to give the AI a foundation to uh, proselytize about the benefits of frog and toad. Uh, to citizens of Ometown and me, I want to know what went down. So attempts to view the show via Apple TV Plus app results in content unavailable. The content is no longer available is what it states. Um, and uh, it's unclear why it's unavailable to view, but it seems to be a region specific issue. In the UK, the show appears and functions fine with no limitations. So it might be a rights thing. Um, apparently Apple Insider attempted to contact Apple about the missing content, but they hadn't had a response, um, yet outside the back end doesn't, problem. Hmm? Doesn't that make you think they got sued or something because they started with the content and then they pulled it off. Yeah. It could be a writing thing, you know, or a rights thing, not writing, but a rights thing. Hey, we don't want you your your contract did not say that you were streaming it in the united states you know which attorney reviewed that contract uh you know that they're well and your residuals are too high for the us or something oh wow can you imagine that or the other way around the residuals were too high in the us and so it 
was never agreed upon for distribution. Oh, right, right. Um, and Sorry, I had to loop that in because we've been talking about that with all the writers, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know about the animators, though. Animators may not have fallen into this. I'm Now I'm going to have to find out about animators that are involved in, um, you know, SAG, AFTRA, and the WGA. I wonder if they're included because they do writing and, and um, design, voice acting, everything. Some of the animators do everything. Uh, yeah, there are. Um, they're part of SAG-AFTRA. Well, Apparently, I mean, there's animation agreements, so that leads me to believe animators are part of that. Yeah, well, there you go. That could be it. I guess, I mean, we're really doing a, a hardcore speculation here, which I'm not really prone to do. Um, and uh, when I do, it's because I'm setting up for doing a deep dive to find out exactly what it is so we can redress it um, in tomorrow's show. So maybe we'll find out what goes on uh, with this between now and then. So um, as much as I want to talk about it a little bit more, there is no there there other than it's not available. So if you were watching Frog and Toad and it's not available, now you know it's a glitch in the matrix somewhere and nobody knows why just yet. Um, so let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Smack Talk. Thieves ditch hidden air tag in Vancouver carjacking. Hmm. Who said that this was going to happen? Hmm. I think it might have been Mayor Watt. <laughs> it, it gives off the location. So eventually, you, when you build a smarter mousetrap, smarter might show up to steal your cheese. They, it's going to happen. Well, and of course, we see articles over and over again touting how AirTag prevented some theft or loss or whatever. So, I mean, the thieves might have been actually watching the news. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think that they're in hometown. A woman's attempt to track down her stolen car in Vancouver went awry after a thief discovered a hidden AirTag and placed it on another rentable vehicle as a distraction. <laughs> Wow. Malcolm Owen again um, wrote this article for AppleInsider.com. After watching the AirTag move through downtown traffic, his lab used AirTag uh, the next day to uh, track down what she thought was her car, reports Global News. Arriving at the AirTag's location at a Kelowna winery, she discovered that the thief was smart enough to discover the AirTag and attach it to an Evo car share vehicle. The result of the change meant that his lop was sent on a wild goose chase while her, while her car went elsewhere. Yep. Wow, that's worse than just discarding it because, yeah. you know, the thief is getting farther away and the innocent person is <laughs> probably being pursued by police officers. What I hope they didn't do, though, was run up and grab this tag because it has forensic evidence attached to it. Possibly it could have fingerprints. Well, that's true. And are if, they going to bother to run fingerprints on a car theft? Oh, sorry. It, because of the other stuff. Yes. Um, I missed that. I, I was thinking it was just a car theft. Sorry. What do you mean? Well, 
because other stuff happened. Or maybe, okay, that's a different, I'm sorry, I thought that was related to that one. It's a different incident that they're referencing in the article. Yeah, so you're uh, you're not describing what you're reading. Um, on July 4th, uh, four people were actually charged for carjacking and killing a driver. Uh, that's what the AI is responding to, um, reading in the article. After the victim attempted to recover the vehicle using an air tag, so in April, the uh, owners of a truck went after their vehicle instead of waiting for police, resulting in a shootout and the alleged thief dying in the vehicle. So uh, others have done this as well. Um, somebody ended up with a broken nose. There was a woman, I think, that also, um, I don't know if that was in the, there was another one where a woman, I think, was shot. Um, and it wasn't this. I don't think it was this, but maybe. No, this was a New York man. There was some woman that tracked somebody down. And, um, I think she was shot too. So I don't know what right, you shouldn't do. I think she was taking it on herself to pursue the yeah. thieves but, or whatever. But the problem is that the police won't consider this, you know, um, high demand like priority. Yeah. Priority. What, what was the one we just talked about it where the person said that it's in their garage. I know that it's yeah. there. And the it was cops a were bike like, or a motorcycle, maybe a bike. Yeah, I don't know if it's the one that's right here. Because it wasn't visible out on the street, they wouldn't take action. But they knew for a fact it was in the garage of somebody. Yeah, uh, and it was. They're like, it's right there in that garage. I know it. Um, I, I'm tracking it right there. And they're like, oh, we can't go in there until they open the garage and it's in plain sight. Oh, well, okay, uh, the officer needs to camp out. <laughs> I'm I know, sure I was going to say, sounds like a quick stakeout. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to open their garage occasionally. Should be pretty exciting for a police officer, but apparently not. All right. Well, don't take, you know, don't take this into your own hands because... Your property is not <laughs> worth your life. As I told somebody once, you don't know how crazy the person is that you're interacting with nor do they know how crazy you are but in an effort to try and out crazy somebody there's always going to be a loser so don't you know the the fastest way to uh, save yourself is to go in the opposite direction of crazy let's keep going uh, the next article is over on the mobile channel scientists solve australian chicken farmers fossil mystery I had to include this simply based on the title, a mystery fossil accidentally unearthed by an Australian chicken farmer in the 1990s has finally been identified as a stout amphibian with tusks and quote unquote gnarly teeth, scientists said on Wednesday. Yeah, I guess that's it right there. Is that the, the thick amphibian? It's the artist's impression of, yes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, there's, there is one, it's like a giant gecko. I really want it, but I know it's a wild animal, you know, and I, I'm not really prone to having wild animals only cause I, you know, accept nature for nature you just go ahead. But it's this really chunky, uh, gecko. It's like that big, um, maybe bigger. I don't know. Um, and it, it's in a, it was in a zoo somewhere and it was really cool. Anyway. Is it a rachidactylus? 
Oh, what a it hoota! It looks like a pretty large gecko. <laughs> a what a hoota? Yeah, it's Leech's giant gecko. It's over 20 centimeters long. I don't know if that's it, but anyway. Let me think. I'd have to see a picture of it. It's okay. Um, the 240 million year old fossil was discovered by Mihail Mihalidis, I guess is their last name. I'm sorry if I'm ruining your last name. Send me an email and uh, I'll pronounce it properly if you spell it out phonetically. Um, as he washed down a massive sandstone slab that was originally destined to become a retaining wall for his garden. Donated to the Australian Museum in 1997, the near-pristine specimen has puzzled scientists who have labored for almost 30 years to figure out what kind of beast it belonged to, and I'm sad that 1997 is almost 30 years ago. That's your takeaway from the article? <sighs> yes. <laughs> All future science makes me feel old. Uh, the University of South Wales paleontologist Lachlan Hart said it had now identified as a heavyset amphibian. It's a big boned amphibian. Heavyset amphibian measuring 1.2 meters or nearly four feet from snout to tail. Resembling a cross between a crocodile and a giant salamander. Maybe it's a giant salamander is what I'm talking about. Hmm. I'm doing it live. That's what it is. It's just a giant salamander. Um, yeah, it's a giant salamander that I'm talking about. Okay. Well, anyway, um, the creature has been given a, the scientific name of, I, I always have to try these, uh, Aaron air, sorry, <laughs> Aaron air, Baton supin, supinatus. There we go. Yeah. Nailed it. First try, which uh, researchers said roughly translates to supine sand creeper, which was my nickname in high school. <laughs> okay. Not much else uh, to uh, say about this. If you are interested in this kind of stuff, um, I've thrown it into the, um, into the VOD and it'll be in the show notes. So you can peruse at your leisure. Um, I think it's fine. I think it's really interesting that all you have to do again, dig down a couple of feet and you find history, um, and, and stuff that we've never even imagined existed. And suddenly it's there and we get a little bit of a greater understanding of, uh, what earth is all about. Let's keep going though. This next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Six Royal Mail postal workers fired in row over tea breaks. Um, I I had to include this because of the tea breaks uh, element of this. The deck statement says the sackings at an office in uh, Merseyside and or Merseyside. I'm I'm sure I'm hacking this name up. Um, reportedly followed a series of complaints from locals experiencing delays to their post since July. That's one hell of a tea break. Six postal workers have been fired from their jobs in a row over tea breaks. A union said they were among 11 workers suspended from Prenton delivery office in rural Merseyside. Um, in July for drinking tea and coffee at pubs while on their breaks. Wait, 
Wait a second. Notice the key there while on their brakes. I, I guess the, the question was, were they authorized brakes? <laughs> Interesting. But it sounds like it. Um, well, you don't sit there and say that they were having their drinking. They were drinking tea and coffee at pubs. And then include while on their brakes, if they weren't on their brakes. Right. See, my assumption from the headline was that they were taking breaks when they weren't supposed to be taking breaks. Yeah, that's what I got too. But no, three were later reinstated. One was handed a penalty and the outcome for the remaining individual is unknown. The communications workers union told Birkenhead News. Royal Mail said its dismissals were carried out in accordance with its standard rules. Um, but Mickey Whitley, the MP for Birkenhead and Oxton counselor, Stuart Kelly have called for the suspended staff to be reinstated. Whatever their internal management problems, people in Oxton and Prenton want a proper post service. And it is essential that Royal Mail focus on providing that. I'm not sure how, <laughs> I'm not sure why that's the argument in, in relation to being reinstated, but maybe there's more here. Um, as a responsible employer, we always investigate any incidents where the behavior of our employees is alleged to have fallen below the standards expected. Okay, when are they going to address that they were on their breaks? Well, other people have resigned over it. Like, it's obviously causing an uproar. There we go. Oxton resident Joe Thomas said that there had been chaos at the delivery office since the sackings and defended the workers for taking breaks. They work really hard and were helpful, but it was clear that it had been ongoing. It was an overblown reaction at such a solitary job being a postie, being out all day, so why not meet up with your colleagues? But they're on I break. I still can't tell, like, were they on an actual break or were they making their own breaks? Yeah, you know, you're supposed to be able... Well, see, I don't know about UK, um, you know, HR... Um, here in the States, you get a break every 15, well, you get a 15 minute break every X number of hours. Um, and it really depends on a few things, but, um, for the most part, you get a break. It's a mandatory break in some cases. Um, and. So and then, you do get a 20 minute, um, break in the UK if you work more than six hours a day. But it's a single break. Correct. Okay. More than I mean, six all hours. All I'm saying is, yes, breaks are authorized. Huh. I don't or know. Required, I guess. Well, I know one thing is that you don't everybody take a break at the same time. <laughs> it can and shut that's down. That's probably it. Like if all the residents are grumbling that they're not getting their mail, and then they look over yeah. and everybody's hanging out at the cafe, even if they're authorized to be, <laughs> I can see why it caused an issue. They're all just getting plastered at the pub. All at the same time, people are walking in. Hey, can I get my mail? Yeah. Take a, take an envelope. <laughs> yeah. Here, reach in the bag, grab one if you need something. All right, let's keep going. Come on. This is funny. So uh, news alert, uh, hometown daily um, has this article that's from, I think it's Business Insider. Yes, cold weather affects EV batteries. Here's why they drain faster. Tesla has been accused of overstating its EV ranges, particularly in cold weather. I've been saying this um, as part of a podcast and part of the show for two years. Uh, coming up on two years. Um, and uh, 
I'm always kind of surprised that uh, people might find issue with this. Uh, heat causes a battery to fail quicker. Um, it's actually heat uh, beyond anything else is really the destroyer of technology. Um, you have to cool everything off, but you can get something too cool. Uh, batteries are one of them. And so uh, EV car batteries drain much faster in cold conditions, significantly affecting their uh, performance. The main issue is caused by drivers heating their cabins and a battery expert previously told Insider, but it goes beyond the heating of the cabins. Um, the reason why it drains batteries is because the physics changes in the battery. Uh, Ryan Hogg over at businessinsider.com um, put this article together and based on the tone of that, that little snippet over at hometown, I don't know if they're going to address this because they're saying that it's the main issue is caused by drivers heating their cabins. And that's no, <laughs> um, I'll have to go and find the science for this if they don't talk about it here. Um, but uh, Reuters reported that the EV maker had created a diversion team last summer, uh, which was tasked with canceling as many range related um, appointments as possible. Um, they were unhappy with their EVs ranges. We know about this now because we've talked about it here in hometown several times. Um, but I don't know if this is actually going to be talking about it. So yeah, insider, uh, the, a, a person, um, Venkat Srinivasan, um, a battery expert and director of the Argonne collaborative center for energy storage science told insiders, Tim Levin, that the main reason batteries drain more uh, in the cold was drivers heating their cabins, whereas gas cars use the heat generated by their engines. Um, Director of University of Michigan's Energy Institute, Anna uh, Stephanopoulou, um, told Wired that batteries were like humans and preferred temperatures between 60 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That right there is the correct answer. Um, while war, uh, sorry, warming the cabin in cold weather certainly does drain the battery faster. It's a natural reaction to more demand from the battery, but the chemistry itself, the battery changes fundamentally in cold weather. It doesn't discharge the electrons as fast from one side to the other, and thus it doesn't perform equally as when it's in its sweet spot of temperature. That's why electronics have a, a, a temperature range because they can only handle a certain range um, with the level of protections that they have in place. It says you don't have as much power when you want to discharge. Stephanopoulou said the situation is even more limited when you want to charge. Charging can also be an issue in cold conditions. That's because it can't pull in those electrons um, as efficiently. And as you approach the 80% mark, it has a harder time packing those electrons into the battery. Um, so I, I think that <laughs> this off the cuff answer by somebody who's supposed to be a subject matter expert, um, maybe it was taken out of context. I'll give them that. No, absolutely. Um... 
Yeah, I didn't even really realize that they had to be at a certain temperature range. I mean, it makes sense, but that seems to be the crux of it. And I think that's the first time I've seen that listed in an article. Interesting. Yeah, because that's what I've been saying for, you know, the last two years. Publicly here, you know, in hometown, I've been saying this to people that I talk to um, for, uh, well, <laughs> professionally for 30 years and, and um, uh, directly in the last 10 years on a daily basis, I do this. So um says but 15 hours later his uh, car only charged to 19 miles and he was forced to cancel his christmas plans and that's because he was in 19 degree weather and his tesla couldn't supercharge why again it doesn't it doesn't have the ability to it's kind of like trying to put a lot of sugar in cold water there isn't enough room in the water to absorb that sugar and so you can't put more in you have to do some special machinations with the water heated up um, it'll expand it'll absorb and liquefy that sugar and then it'll be part of the sugar um, and that's kind of how batteries are the conventional batteries there are other batteries that are coming out um, that kind of throw this to the side uh, in that there are batteries that operate best at with heat, whereas regular batteries, they don't like a lot of heat. They really don't like a lot of cold. Um, but these, uh, these newer battery technologies that are in uh, research and development right now, they actually, all you have to do is heat them up and they start generating power. It's uh, a catalytic reaction. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, I'm sure I'll talk about it when we uh, see more in the news regarding this. As for this, um, let me, did I not throw, when did I throw that? Um, yeah, there we go. So I need to throw a couple of articles into the chat so that you can review them. There you go, folks. And there's another one. Um, so yeah, you this is yet another reason why I say that EVs aren't truly ready for general consumption. We're still on the, we're moving from the early adopter stage to general user yet the general, the, the people who are thinking that it's just commonplace to have an EV um, don't quite realize that they're really an early adopter um, and that it's a luxury vehicle that has some significant long-term failure points um n n go ahead well i was just gonna say i think part of the problem is it's like all the marketing is like oh evs are great they're wonderful for the environment etc but nothing is or there doesn't seem to be anything real mainstream out there that really talks about the things that people need to be aware of before they get an ev Right. I don't think half the people that have EVs know anything about any of these issues, but they discover them when their car dies or something like that. Yes. Um, and some <laughs> people probably wouldn't buy EVs at all if they realized half of this. Yeah, there's people that regret it afterwards. Yep, I'm sure. Um, and there was something else that I was going to talk about, but maybe I'll remember it in another. It's another tertiary, you know, discussion point. But let's keep on going. 
Um, here we are talking about Antarctica again, uh, this in a different context. This is in the Mobile Channel. Antarctica risks cascades of extreme events as Earth warms, according to a study. Extreme weather in Antarctica, including ocean heat waves and ice loss, is set to become more intense unless urgent policy action reduces the burning of fossil fuels. A new study has found the latest to sound the alarm on the uh, damage climate change is unleashing. This shouldn't be news to anybody. Um, Lisa Tetley, Bloomberg News, um, kind of like sh uh, cigarettes and other things. We've known that there's a problem, yet there's a whole lot of money and machinations involved in stopping the kinetic energy that these processes have in place. And uh, you you really just can't stop greed and... and uh, I'm going to get mine while I can get it. Um, it's just the nature of the game. I hate saying that phrase. And whenever I say that phrase, I let people know that I have a particular bias here. Um, I, I, I will not understand why people can't see the forest for the trees. Um, it is, quote, it is virtually certain that continued greenhouse gas emissions will lead to increases in the size and frequency of events. As the world gets dangerously close to exceeding the 1.5C warming limit laid out in 2015 Paris Agreement, and then the U.S. gets pulls itself out because of a wingnut president. Um, the uh, uh, According to a study published Tuesday in the journal uh, frontiers in environmental science quote we cannot rule out future cascades where extreme events may have wide-ranging linked impacts in multiple realms so what happens in antarctica will change the weather system and and uh, the local water system it'll melt ice pack it will change winds it will change the flow of the ocean it will raise the water level. I mean, and that has that, those are the immediate effects. And then you have knock on effects, um, where, um, the jet stream stalls and, uh, the flow of water from, uh, the upper region of the planet to the middle stalls because there isn't enough, uh, temperature deviation or, it creates a hot spot somewhere like off the coast of Florida right now where water is reaching over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Um, we need to pay attention to this and here I'm going to throw something that I haven't seen in actual use in a long time. Scientists have become increasingly alarmed on how the Antarctic ice has struggled to grow back after hitting an all time low in February, a deviation so extreme from the normal, that it's been dubbed a Six Sigma event or once in a 7.5 million year phenomena. <laughs> okay, that's not a good statistic. Uh, Six Sigma, by the way, is something that I haven't seen in I don't know how many years. Has to, what, almost 10 years, I'd say? I haven't paid attention to Six Sigma. <laughs> Mainly because I don't ever see anything that's Six Sigma. Um, I mean, it's a it's a statistics thing, um, but <laughs> you just never, you're like, uh, two is what... You don't normally <laughs> encounter it yeah. in normal uh, circles. Yeah, it 
it's predominantly in a business context, uh, you know, business process. Uh, anyway, uh, the study concludes that Antarctica is likely to face considerable stress and damage in the upcoming decades. 12 countries, including the UK, US, India, and China, pledged to preserve the continent's fragile environment through the Antarctic Treaty in 1959. The study says some countries risk breaching the terms of this agreement without urgent action to reduce emissions. Um, but while China is part of this, they also have pledged to uh, advance their industrialization. Um, and looking back at other countries' uh, history, they rightfully say well you went through your industrial period we deserve to as well and you can't knock that perspective you can knock the fact that every lesson that was learned by other countries that have gone through the industrialization period have generated rock solid science about how to do it without negatively impacting the the environment wholesale well, that's the difference, I think. Like, I think if somebody was suddenly adopting cars for the first time, you wouldn't go, oh, let's build them the same way and make sure they only go, whatever, right. one gallon of gas for 100 miles or something, right? Right. You would use the efficiencies that were available or the um, whatever, emission reductions or, or whatever it is. Yeah, and I guarantee you industrial espionage has already helped out China benefit from the research, fundamental research and development um, from other countries. So there, while I am more likely to agree with that ideology that they need to go through their industrialization period, they should also learn from everybody else's mistakes and not make them, but in the effort to advance quickly and do things inexpensively, some might say cheaply, um, you end up where we are, um, where just a ton of greenhouse gases are being emitted. And these Western countries are actually going to China and similar countries because they don't have environmental controls in place. Well, exactly. So these very countries, including the U.S., are perpetuating these issues. And of course, we're not immune to them either, right? right? We have our own emission problems. Sure. Yeah, but when the little guy can't put in a driveway without doing an environmental impact survey, raising the cost of the driveway by $25,000, you kind of got issues here. Or something is happening and they stop down and they... They clamp down on an entire operation, an entire organization where millions of dollars are going to get spent. And it's because they, you know, found a fish in a puddle. Anyway, let's keep going. Whoa. So this next article is over in Late Night Geeks. Researchers jailbreak a Tesla. The FCC finds robocallers and WeWork finds itself in trouble again. So this is over at TechCrunch and they have this kind of a, what do you, what do you call it? They, they put together like an aggregated internal news. Yeah, it's like a consolidated uh, or like a compilation maybe. It's a reader's digest of tech-related news, I'd say. I'd probably put it that way. That's probably better. So TechCrunch's week in review is what they actually call it. Um, 
we aggregate this along with other stuff from TechCrunch uh, to, well, Mayor Watt does. Um, the, AI, the AI may find something in here that's really interesting um, as well, but there's always multitudes in here. And so I typically pick one. Um, and in this particular instance, what we're going to talk about really is this hacking and jailbreaking of Tesla. Won't be the first time, won't be the last time, but there is a, an, an entire federal uh, mandate that's going around now where Internet of Things and other devices are going to be um, given credentials, essentially, that say that they are cyber secure. Um, and I think it's the most absurd thing because you're only a, you're only secure up to a point. <laughs> and then somebody else, a better mouse, has broken in and stolen your cheese. So I, I will never believe that something is entirely secure. You know, when you're sitting there looking at um, news about um, politics and they say, well, we went into a skiff and we're talking about this stuff in a skiff. It may be secure in the immediate, but the moment you break the seal and, and every living being in it exits the skiff, information is leaked. <laughs> um, one way or another, information is leaked. Um, you may be able to see a document in it, but then when they take the documents out of the skiff, it is no longer secure and, and the seal of the skiff is broken. You have to rely on people no longer inquiring about that outside of the skiff, but people do and information is divulged. Well, jailbreaking a Tesla or an internet of things device and it being flagged as being cyber secure. Th this is a real thing that's coming from the federal government here in the States. Um, it's going to flag things as being secure, but next week it's now insecure because a zero day was found and, and it gives people a false sense of security that their IOT devices or their car or whatever it is that has a computer is secure. And it's never 100% secure. The only good secure computer is one that is uh, unplugged and sitting in a closet somewhere. And even there, it's not secure until you melt it down to slag. Um, because I can still get a hold of it and pull all of its data off. Um, so when they jailbreak a Tesla, they can do whatever they want to it. Um, and that's this article right here jailbreak your Tesla. Um, a group of researchers say that they found a way to hack the hardware underpinning Tesla's infotainment system, allowing them to get what normally would be paid upgrades, such as heated rear seats for free. I didn't know that that was a thing on Tesla's. I knew it was a thing on BMW's. Right. <laughs> I didn't know about that on, that's just an a-hole thing to do. If the, if the stuff is in the car, why isn't it free? All it is, is a little micro switch turning on the resistors that are in the seats. Come on. That's such, uh, 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 it's just another reason why I hate Elon Musk. Um, anyway, 
so did I throw that? No, the last thing that I threw was drain uh, batteries drain faster. So let me throw that over into the chat. Sorry about that, folks. Doink. And here's uh, the um, the jailbreak article. And uh, we're just going to go on to the next article. We'll, we'll keep hustling through all of this. Uh, this next article is over in Smack Talk. Judge clears way for $500 million iPhone throttling settlement. Um, owners of iPhone models who were part of a throttling lawsuit that ended up with a $500, it says $500, but I think it's million dollar settlement from <laughs> right, Apple. I think it's missing something there. Yeah, big a big M, uh, which is significantly different than $500 because then don't bother <laughs> the checks being cut are going to be more expensive than the value of the check um, from uh, from Apple may soon receive their payments after a judge denied objections uh, against the offer in May 2020 a proposed settlement uh, to end a series of class actions lawsuits over the so-called iPhone slowdown controversy was given a preliminary approval by courts Two years later, the settlement is getting very close to actually being paid out to affected Apple uh, customers. The settlement was objected against by two iPhone owners who took the case to the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals over its terms. Um, the court denied the appeal. So it's going to move forward. Malcolm Owen over at AppleInsider.com put this article together. I'm curious why they actually kind of stop why the two wanted to stop it um exactly like isn't that a i don't know it just doesn't make any sense we don't have enough information in the article yeah maybe they wanted more maybe but that doesn't sound very reasonable um, under the settlement, Apple will be paying out a total of between 310 and 500 million with the actual value, depending on the number of valid claims after applications complete processing. It is reckoned that the average compensation per claimant will be around 65 bucks. So what a return on your uh, hobbling or hobbled device. Um, 65 bucks plus whatever you might have gotten for your device should it have already been sold to some other lucky sucker unsuspecting person yeah, yeah. Uh, up next tesla's sale of a vehicle you know that how i keep warning people that the batteries are going to fail in 10 years five to ten years um and uh, it's going to be somebody else's problem because everybody's going to shift to another model um, or another competitor. Like I'm going to get an Ionic if I get any uh, all electric car. I'm going to go for Ionic. Um, you know, screw Tesla. Um, okay. Tell so, us how you really feel. Uh, well, I'm transparent. What can I say? I'm trapped in a glass box of emotion, man. So uh, Technology Today is where this next article is housed. It's aggregated, though, from where? Oh, The Guardian. Um, so can Britain create a microchip industry worth its salt? I'm going to front load this statement with not unless the government really supports this effort because spinning up fabs is wildly expensive. I think... Uh, based on my research, it's somewhere to the tune of 15 to 20 billion dollars per fab. 
Uh, that's with a B. Yeah. So the UK government let processor manufacturing drift overseas for years, just like the United States did. And now we're trying to hope that uh, foreign investment and fabs are going to come to the United States. They've already warned that it's going to be more expensive for the domestic chips. Uh, that's kind of the no shit news at 10 p.m. Um, but for a short, short time in the late 1990s, passengers stepping off the train in Newcastle Station were greeted with a bold slogan, fish into chips from mackerel economy to microtechnology, invest in North uh, Tinside, uh, Siemens did. And um, that was messaging about returning uh, chip manufacturing to the domestic shores. As globalization marched ever onward after the fall of the Berlin Wall, this painfully British pun spoke of a swagger on the world stage. It rever uh, referred to a vast 1.1 billion pound microchip factory that the German industrial giant had just opened. This is back in the 90s. Yeah, so um, this is from the uh, a section called the Observer Technology Sector, uh, Richard Partington, which is an awesome British name. Um, so this is 1997, uh, 18 months after the grand opening by Queen Elizabeth, weeks after Tony Blair's landslide election victory, Siemens closed the site, axing a thousand jobs and refusing to repay millions of pounds in taxpayer support. Boom. Now, 2023, where everything old is new again. Um, let's Nobody see. Any lessons. Yeah, exactly. In the UK, Rishi Sunak's government announced plans to, uh, in May to invest $1 billion over 10 years in semiconductor research, design, and production. However, his plan risks being blown out of the water by the vast subsidies and offer elsewhere, including Joe Biden's $52 billion CHIPS Act and... Um, that's 52 US billion or 41 billion pounds and 43 billion euro or 37 billion of EU subsidies. So there's some global there's some serious money involved here. Yeah. Um, so I certainly don't think that there is going to be enough offered um, without some other uh, juice to squeeze. So I'm trying to see where they um, might have some numbers in this article. Uh, so where is this company? Uh, TSMC is the one that is coming to the United States. They're spinning up a, a fab, I think, in Utah or Arizona. One of the two. Um, can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, right now. Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. And, um, they've already threatened that there isn't going to be anything because they, it's going to be too expensive and they uh, aren't necessarily getting enough support from the state and from the federal government to actually spin it up. Um, before the deal with Siemens, Japanese technology firm Fujitsu had agreed to open an advanced microchip factory at Newton Acliffe in County Durham and a Korean manufacturer, Samsung has per, or was persuaded to open a microwave oven and computer monitor plant on uh, Teesside, which is an interesting combination until you find out that there are actually companies that make cars and microwaves. Had oh, no idea. I, we know about that. Yeah. So um, 
I'm trying to see in this article if they have any other numbers, but they don't. Um, so it's kind of a bummer that they don't really stack enough numbers in here. Um, but it's very expensive to um, spin up a fab today. And I read somewhere that there used to be uh, something like 20 fab, 20 companies with fabs, and now there's only four. Uh, that's totally unacceptable. Yeah. And this is global, by the way. I'm not talking to you about right. I mean, that's just really a... concerning, though, but it explains a lot about yeah. it... all the supply chain and pricing issues. And my understanding is that none of them are U.S. domestic. So well, um, that's really great, at least wait, for wait, those wait. in the U.S. IBM. I think IBM is the only one that's um, got a domestic fab. So you can see that mergers, acquisitions, and then just dying off attrition has led to a, a concentration of wealth, power, influence. Um, so just sad. We'll monitor the situation and um, end up. Doggone it. Hold on one second. So yeah, me... what is that for those in the podcast? They had a British flag, but it was kind of adhered to the chip. <laughs> it's just a chip. It's just a flag and a chip. Well, I know it was graphical, but. Right. It's just the hint of a CPU, you know, shaped chip that they're saying that a, a British making a British domestic uh, fab is something that they're looking to do um and the the caption under the um picture is britain is again pushing into expanding its microprocessor technology after years in the wilderness which is this kind of cagey thing is that everything was offshored because naturally a country will gravitate towards what it is strategically advantaged towards um and if you can't if you can't overcome the environmental concerns and there isn't enough demand domestically to warrant production domestically, and there's some other country that produces it dramatically cheaper, then you're going to go overseas. But the globalization of everything has led to hyper-focus in certain countries. And that means that they have, there's nothing coming into the country. Everything is going out of the country and that devalues the economic power of the country. Um, and when you have to go overseas to buy all, all of your chips, all they have to do is turn off the flow and it raises the price. And when you have four main companies making chips, guess what? you're basically in a walled garden and none of those chips are getting inside the garden. Um, so again, like everything, you just got to keep an eye on things. Uh, what's going on here. It's really easy. So, Oh, by the way, there are uh, many, many other fabs out there, but I'm talking about processors like CPUs. Oh, okay. Um, in leading edge CPUs, uh, there are many other fabs out there that aren't on the cutting edge. They're not down, you know, into the two nanometer um, size of chips, which is where everybody's kind of hovering towards. They're trying to get down there. Um, but uh, 
the these other fabs are focusing on other things right so they're they're doing older chips they're doing other hyper focused chips where it doesn't need to keep on getting better and better and better um these four that so can I, those convert or is that just ridiculous um the other ones would have to have a massive amount of money injected into them to convert because it isn't as simple as like um uh injection molding or anything like that we're talking about nanoscale microscopic engineering um, plus you have to have the expertise to redesign chips to design chips do the fundamental research and development and so on it's usually done in colleges um, and in businesses that bring new college genius in-house you know okay um so it's not an easy thing. And that's why I say more than and they dropped a billion dollars or something like that is what they were talking about. And I have to giggle at that. That's nothing that isn't going to move the needle at all. Um, you know, it's barely a blip. So oh, okay. good luck. They might be able to inspire a bunch of people, a small team to do amazing things in the name of Britain. Um, but you know, you got a better chance of getting struck by lightning. Okay. Let's keep on hustling. Last article for the night. Wow. We ripped through today's articles. Uh, this I next kept the soapbox derby, uh, <laughs> to speedy. a minimum of loops. <laughs> very, very speedy. Um, this last article is over in technology today. Um, Sony and other music labels sue Internet Archive for digitizing old records. Now, this is an old school kind of argument here. Um, what the Great 78 project is, is they're trying to grab 78 RPM discs, um, records, and digitize them and keep them for posterity and research. But rights holders are saying, eh, you're trying to just give everybody access to free music. And, um, you know, <laughs> I have to say to some degree. Yeah. Cause you don't know where research is going to manifest. You know, you could have a bunch of high school students that are interested in music and they decide to look at the great internet archive and this particular, the great 78 project where it highlights the music from 78 RPM, uh, records. Uh, but no, these companies and there are certain companies, um, let's see, uh, I'm sure that they've got a list of them in here somewhere. Um, goodness. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see them. Oh, Sony music. It's at the very freaking top. What? Why load the article so fast that I look right past it? <laughs> Before I get too far, Mariella Moon over at Engadget.com put the article together. Um, and so they they talk about this lawsuit uh, where it's spearheaded by music, Sony Music Entertainment, Universal Music Group, and a handful of other music labels that filed a lawsuit against the nonprofit Internet Archive. Um, and so the idea here is that they're calling it blatant infringement. They want $150,000 per violation. Um, 
they list a few examples of the iconic recordings available through the Great 78 Project, such as uh, White Christmas, Sing Sing Sing, and uh, the Christmas Song, which, give me a break, man. It's pre-1972 music that without these, they're going to die off. They're going to disappear somewhere. And if a, an archivist doesn't store these somewhere, they're going to be lost forever. So I would rather... It's kind of like the artist that lost their entire existence to the Maui fires. Um, I would rather have an archive of these analog products so that we know what it sounded like. I, but I want the same thing for everything. I want a digital representation, an archive of humanity. I want um, every language that could be spoken documented i want every language that can be written documented you know um i just i want all of humanity stored somewhere so that there isn't uh well we we never did this in the past and there's nothing more than the memory well no we did do it in the past okay well find evidence of it okay let me pull up the internet archive and here is our historical record. So why not let the Internet Archive do this? In fact, these guys should be paying Internet Archive to facilitate this because they'll keep it in good regard. The problem is greed. Sony Music Entertainment and Universal Music Group and a handful of other music labels, they want to hold on to it rightfully because it's their product, right? They have the rights to it. The problem is that when you store it in your basement and nobody else gets to review that material, it is functionally lost forever from humanity. Well, and we just talked about an article. I realize it's on a smaller scale, but the art gallery in Maui. Uh-huh. It's gone. Yep. That's what I said. Yep. It. All it took was a fire to wipe out that person's entire existence. And so those masters are gone forever. We will never know exactly the same brush strokes that led to those paintings, to those designs, to a sculpture or to whatever was destroyed in that fire. Um, <laughs> consider, it, consider the Internet Archive as a digital museum stored in perpetuity for all of mankind and future generations to be able to peer back and, and look at our history. But we can't because there is a group of people that want to capitalize on every last single bit of anything anywhere at any time. Now, do I fault them for wanting to make money off of this stuff? No. Do I have a problem with them not allowing for something like this? Again, I'll use another example. Um, the, uh, the studio that makes the claymation, um, dog and farm. For Wallace and Gromit. Wallace and Gromit. Thank you. I so the studio name. Gimli, I think it is. Right. Maybe I don't remember. Um, so the studio that makes Ardman. Oh, Ardman. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, the studio that makes Wallace and Gromit lost everything in 
another fire. And they had a few other things and, and they had to rebuild their studio and their claymation um, library. But if they would have had an art, even masters like the videos and stuff like that were lost. Um, but if they would have had an archive of it somewhere else, oh, I don't know, the internet archive, you know, use it for what it's named for, then other people would be taking care of it. People could watch it, right? Periodically. I don't think that the whole world is converging on internet archive to listen to Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and Miles Davis. Right. I mean, most people wouldn't even know to do that. Right. And while I had known about the great 78 project, I didn't know what was in it. Why? Because I'm not motivated to go over there. And I, and an extremely small set is going to be interested in going over there unless they want to hear the original recording or whatever the recording is of a 78 that was given to the internet archive for digitization. And I can guarantee you that it wasn't going to be the preeminent quality. You know, it's not going to be the same soundstage as a modern recording that's distributed to some music distribution platform um, or directly from music, Sony music entertainment. I'm just flabbergasted because it seems really narrow minded. Um, and uh, while it may be bringing in money for the estates and for the uh, rights holders, I really don't think that it's going to be. That is the source, right? Where they're losing a ton of money. They'll make money if they make it available and for lease or rent or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I can listen to any of that stuff anytime I want to. And I'm paying, you know, 15 bucks a month for it. So why, why be like that and let people research it and be introduced to old music? Um, well, the bigger risk here is just losing this. Yeah. And we're on the precipice of that on a lot of things. I mean, there aren't even necessarily generations alive who, or there are fewer people alive who are even aware of some of these artists. And or interested in trying to, you know, um, listen to that music. Give me a break. Make it available and make it high quality and people will be interested and then they'll go and buy the albums or uh, see, but people aren't buying albums. I'm telling you, man, <laughs> it's just not happening. Uh, you know, like the value of people buying vinyl today and like CDs and stuff like that hasn't even reached what it was back in the eighties. Um, we're not, it's not coming back in any way. It's all digital. So, but I just don't want it to be lost. I want, you know, those records, that embodiment of the sound at that time, because every time you play a record, it damages the record a little bit. Uh, because it's a needle that's being dragged across uh, deviations, deflections in a record. Um, and so the, the reality is that that record is a particular embodiment. And frankly, as long as, see, but the Internet Archive may be allowing other people to review the content, which means that it's violating copyright. Um, if it had just made a recording and stored it, then 
for personal use. Oh, right, right. Even that is a violation of copyright law, except that nobody's going to go after you if you're making a personal copy. Right, because where's the harm? Well, and nobody's the significant harm. Yeah, yeah, it's not even being distributed. You're not showing people that you've got a you know massive library, or whatever. Um, but in this particular instance, it's available to people who might be interested in it. And frankly, nobody's going to be not a lot of people in the grand scheme of things is going to be interested in it. I'm uh, I won't go down this road. We have a whole lot that we can end up talking about. Um, as a knock-on effect of this, this associative thinking problem slash blessing that I suffer from um, is pretty real. And we can end up talking about all kinds of societal and financial and um, economic, technical, <laughs> um, psychological connections. I mean, it, it global connections are still here. Uh, because this is just so this is narrow we're talking about you know pre-1972 sound recordings from what appears to be only the united states think about all of the music and all of the information that has been lost to the ages from other countries because they don't have somebody that's acting as their internet archive and bucking the trend of just letting the people who own the stuff right perpetually own it and let it die you know somebody at sony music entertainment could completely screw up and delete a tape you know pull a nasa and tape over the moon landing and gone forever but for the internet archive having an archive of the whatever it might be that would have been lost i don't think they have the moon landing though Anyway, that's it for today, folks. Um, it's been a pleasure. If you are in uh, chat, then um, say hello, ask questions, etc. cetera. Uh, always happy to discuss things. And um, that's it for today. Uh, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. We won't go through um, the articles today at the very front because we always mash them and then we refresh it and um, I'm going to let everybody just kind of go have a, a good time. Um, it's Saturday night. Okay. Anyway, again, I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com. Up there is the AI. You want to say bye, AI? Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. True story. See you in a bit. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.